0: Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, in Canada, new owners line up for WestJet and Air Transat, Italy orders another round for Alitalia in the last chance saloon, and India's jet remains grounded, as does everyone's 737 MAXs. We look at the continuing rise of the low-cost carriers and the efforts of US budget airlines Spirit Airlines to move market. My name's Graham Dunn, and joining me to talk through all this and more is my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Lewis, okay. welcome. Hi, Graham. So this has been a really interesting month in terms of, of airlines being up for sale or mm. finding new owners or not finding new owners. That seems to have been a, a common theme. There, there, there are several airlines looking for new investors, and a market pretty much out of the blue where um, 2 Airline is Canada, where they seem to have been doing quite a good
1: job of it. That's it, and that—that's what makes this this one unusual and and at the same time very interesting. Is that in in Europe we see quite chaotic moves towards consolidation, um, with which which has tended to involve airlines collapsing and 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 the the other players kind of picking up the pieces. What we've seen in Canada um, in in the run up to airline business going to press is obviously early early last week we had WestJet um, um, confirming that Onyx were. We're in talks to take over, and then then just two or three days later, we've got Air Canada um, confirming uh, that they are in the process of buying Air Transat or Transat, the. um, the So, that's the
0: Canadian tour operator, isn't Mm. it? And um, Air Canada itself has um, uh, Rouge as a kind of leisure operator, so it'll be interesting to see. I think in that Canadian market, you've seen a a lot of developments of late, and WestJet is a really Mm -hmm. interesting example of that.
1: It is, because. We talk about hybrid airlines I guess at the moment a lot where you've seen the particularly low cost airlines trying to do the long haul, they're kind of maybe shifting towards more of a hybrid model and I think WestJet itself acknowledges that it's going through in the middle of a process really where it's moving towards being that kind of um, having low cost sensibilities in some areas, but also, um, particularly at its premium cabins and things, actually behaving more like a full service carrier. So it's been going through a lot. It, it, it um, had quite a lot of turmoil, I guess, when, when losing its CEO last year, yeah. out very out of the blue, actually. Yeah, I mean. a
0: year or so ago, there, there was some la- uh, labour relations issues. And a lot mm. of that was surrounded, I guess, the launch of that um, ultra low cost carrier, uh, mm. which started about a year or so ago, Swoop. Which again, I mean WestJet, which would identify or traditionally identified as a low cost carrier, um, has obviously seen that movement and and Canada, obviously you've you've seen the arrival of some um, uh, ultra low cost players there, so Mm -hmm. Swoop handles that end of it. At the other end, you have this kind of um, increasing long haul transatlantic Operation in, in April, I think you saw 787s seven, uh, making their debut on those routes as well.
1: Yeah, and I think with its new investor, the, the idea is this is kind of going to be a big help towards um, kind of stabilising that that push towards that. I think everyone seems quite positive about it, and um, and yeah, it just gives them that 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 extra strength. I think in in and now I guess the timing, as you say, was um, was in particularly interesting because just days later, it's looking at its I guess biggest local rival kind of um about to get you know quite not insignificantly bigger um, mm. by by um, potentially taking on on Transat and as you say we're combining Transat into Air reef was I don't Rude, so I don't know exactly how they'll do it, but that that is quite a formidable competitor, I guess. And, they're looking at
0: and transit themselves have been expanding, um, mm. across onto the uh, I mean, they've always operated into Europe, but a new um, Airbus, um, long range narrow bodies they've got on board as well, yeah. Um, and transit's always had this quite interesting model where it had a, a an interesting um, uh, kind of capacity share arrangement with Thomas Cook, another um, carrier in, in Europe, where they looked at. Uh, Counter some of that seasonality by shifting aircraft from one season, whenever there was demand in, um, in Europe, over towards the uh, uh, routes in the winter season in North America. So it's an mm. interesting, interesting model that both carriers should find. And that though, those deals are both announced come at a time when, throughout the backdrop, I think that uh, on the last podcast we were talking about, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen to Jet Airways in India, but. It, at that mm. point, it was looking like it was on the brink, and um, is very much still on the brink, isn't it? It
1: is, yeah. We we're, we're, um, we're, we've talked a lot actually since then about you know what. Trying to think of an example where an airline could pull itself back from where where Jet is now. There are obviously people who do see some value in it, because you're seeing Etihad confirming that they they may be interested in 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 at least you know resurrecting part of it. But but the, yeah, it it by all, in all intents and purposes, it has collapsed. But. But there, there does seem to be, you know, some indication that people think it could bounce back. But the problem is the longer it's collapsed, the more ground it's losing. And, so to
0: have a carrier yeah. totally grounded, and grounded from, you know, such a large operation, obviously it, mm. it had already begun reducing various services even before those last couple of weeks where, you know, aircraft were being grounded on a daily basis... But you know, this is an airline that was a year ago operating 120 aircraft or so. So that it's you know a major mm. um, major airline to suddenly yeah. go down to being grounded. Uh, now, obviously, there are still attempts to to restore it. And mm. you know, India is an interesting market. Um, we saw SpiceJet um, two or three years ago. That was absolutely on the brink. That's made a turnaround. Mm. Uh, its original owner came um, back in to to, uh, to help relaunch that. But there's a it's a long journey for Jet if uh, for anyone looking to take it on.
1: There is, and as we're saying, you know, the longer they they're not flying, they're, they've already you know temporarily, in theory, give, uh, some of their slots have gone elsewhere. And I think um, there's a great column actually in the new issue of AB by Shashank, who often writes our feedback pieces, talking about you know fundamental questions about whether the Indian market needs a full service player like like Jet. It, it, you know does does the um, you know the, the vast majority of the people who are going to be paying to, to fly in india do they, do they really want that or are they um, particularly in those developing markets is there more of a tendency for people just to it, it exists everywhere but certainly in those markets even more so that people go for price and yeah with air india probably carrying on in some form and with you know some of the biggest full service players having quite a big presence some of the overseas ones like emirates as well is that market being served well enough that alone so it's an interesting yeah.
0: argument and you certainly see you know india's biggest carrier is indigo airlines a um mm. uh, a low-cost operator that has ambitions as well to expand further and in length sector as well as um scope so it's interesting whether that market will uh, whether that will cater for that a long-haul market going forward i guess
1: yeah that's the thing i think short haul is particularly changed but obviously if you're talking about resurrecting Jet you you'd know it it's you know, got a decent reputation internationally I think for an Indian carrier so yeah there may be potential there but there's certainly a lot of um a lot of questions to get through before anything happens and um, now,
0: now, now jet airways was one of the um investments that etty had which remains uh, a shareholder there mm. and 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 potentially could continue um become the main shareholder or, or be a central uh, part of the the solution there alitalia was uh one of their investments in europe which uh they pulled the plug on or the funding on when um uh more than 2 years ago now 2 years mm-hmm. ago um in may and we still really don't know what's happening with them
1: we we don't so the 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 deadline's been pushed um, back again for uh, the the privatization or whatever form it it might take but um again i think it's similar when you look at how jet might play out um i guess um alitalia is is ticking along with the, the state support and i think we've looked at the data for what's happened in the last 2 years and while they haven't really contracted much also haven't grown much so um in that time you know competitors are moving into their territory at the same time they're growing the markets though so you you know italy has undoubtedly got that it's a big market it's got huge potential so while there's a competitive element with the low-cost carriers coming in what that does mean is the connectivity is is better so to start growing again would 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 there's lots of potential there i think the the cost base there is the yeah, I, the big uh, yeah,
0: absolutely, and and I think what's interesting with Italy and and the same with India is that you know there are challenges; they are difficult markets to operate, mm. in. it is difficult for local carriers to make money. That's clearly been yeah. uh, clearly been shown, especially for um, uh, legacy carriers. Mm. But uh, those markets have undoubted potential. There mm. are you know lucre, you know lucrative parts of it. That's why people keep looking at it why people remain mm. interested and you know they're part of the potential consortium um which is is being led by the italian um rail operator mm. for Roe-V. um but they have uh delta on uh potentially on board as mm. a um a partner you know a relatively small investor on that and they're looking to secure more investment in there it's interesting that established names continue to look at Alitalia, mm. I think because of that, the, you know, the uh, quality of that market you know, the size mm. of that market it's got
1: tourism,
0: it's got business yeah. it's got cities you'd want to go to, Yeah, you can see why people are drawn Precisely, to it. and you
1: got at the same time that's going on, of course, um, we've got the uh, sideshow maybe from the Air Italy kind of argument, it's, it's curious because Delta's kind of heading this this anti-air Italy movement, obviously, because of it, because Catala Airways is a shareholder, um, but at the same time, Delta is looking at investing in a, what is a state-owned airline and and keeping that going. So there's a lot of, uh, of sides you could be on in that argument, I guess. But it is certainly an intriguing one that Delta's the the one player. But it does show you know the biggest, what is you know by a lot of measures, the biggest airline in the world wants a piece of the action. Still, yeah, um, it tells you tells you a lot about, as you say, the potential and. The, what exists already in that market really yeah. and and
0: throughout all these stories there's also been several of these carriers are affected um well mm. one of these carriers are affected others across the market the 737 max which remains grounded mm. and that c- continues to have a major effect on on airlines
1: it does so we've had the first round of um financial results um since the grounding happened so in most cases that's the first quarter results so the max was global fleet was grounded around mid march so that's towards the end of that quarter there's already a, a big impact so southwest have said um they they saw the most cancellations they'd seen since um the impact of 911 so um so while in a lot of cases the in most cases really the max aircrafts are a small proportion of fleets it's nonetheless having a, a big impact so you've seen um american as well there are a lot of cancellations um air Canada if we talked about they're affected they had um you know a fair number in service so um and it, it has you know it's affected um financially it's affected yeah, airlines not not massively in in most cases but um wh- where they've they've talked about it. it's not insignificant um and um, a fewer Keeping the financial impact obviously under the hatch, just because with compensation claims in mind, um, it's an interesting mix, really, where some are quite open. So Tui quite openly talk about, you know, a 200 million euro impact from it. But so it depends who you talk to. But certainly, it's um, it's it's something the airlines would rather not be grappling with, particularly going into the summer season. That's absolutely, and
0: that's where capacity issues may remain um, something of issue with this. Capacity issues are also central to. Low cost carriers, particularly in Europe, over uh, over the summer, and we'll
1: have a look at uh, low cost carriers in general in part two. If you're enjoying the airline business podcast, get new episodes automatically sent to your phone by subscribing through your podcast platform of choice. So, a big feature package in the the new issue, the June issue of, of airline business, is looking at the low cost market and and an area we've we've looked at before. And it seems there's there's always a lot of talk around, develops around is is the low cost uh, long haul market. Um, and once again, particularly in Europe, we've seen players falling over in the in the last twelve months. We've also seen, though, some interesting developments, particularly around JetBlue. And I guess um, Graham, you, you've had a look, haven't you, generally at the transatlantic market and how yeah, specifically it's, how that's developing? It's, like it's that, a really, know?
0: it's a really interesting market. Um, you know, I think in terms of uh, headlines and coverage, it gets a sort of disproportionate mm. amount of um, of coverage. I mean, low cost remain. Relatively small players in in the transatlantic market as a whole. Norwegian's the only one that would uh, rank in the um, among Mm. the ten biggest, you know, and and it's sort of quite focused in a relatively small part of that market. Wow, uh, the Icelandic carrier would have been in the top twenty of the biggest players there, Uh, but obviously, Wow has uh, collapsed earlier this year. We see Primera which had, you know, very ambitious plans to to spread the model out into. Uh, continental Europe into, into several new airports there. That obviously never materialised, or um, mm. those parts of the plans didn't materialise. We've seen Norwegian making, um, you know, it's embarking on this um, this attempt to sort of assure you know, a search for profitability, essentially. Yeah. It, it obviously expanded quite dramatically, and when the IAG um, takeover didn't happen, there different ways of... Um, of improving their financial situation, they're looking towards putting more emphasis on profitability, and and then they've made a, a bit of a shift from some of the you know some of those those new routes that were very specifically targeted with the new new aircraft, which we were able to make these these uh, lower density routes work. So on that side, there has been you know it is uh, you know level of the IAG carrier that is uh, that is still expanding um, mm. but it's all a relatively small part of the market
1: that's it it's interesting just as inside on norwegian actually they they've actually i've noticed them marketing themselves specifically using low cost long haul terminology so they are doubling down on that being their kind of you know i think they describe mm. themselves in marketing and in advertising as you know the world's biggest Long haul low cost airline, for example. So it is obviously something they're, they're very much focused on. But yeah, as you say, I think the it's maybe a bit of cop out as an answer, but it is very much a market where it's still not 100 clear what. And is there a race? I guess I, unlike, so i hate to mention Brexit, where it mm. seems to be there's a race to the the edges. There's a race to the middle in these markets where there's kind of a there's. A, there's a hybrid model that maybe even the legacy carriers are heading towards. yeah
0: absolutely i mean and you've seen and it is quite interesting you know i think a lot of attempts to broaden it out and we have seen now um you know you've seen legacy carriers responding with different offers obviously we, we've had the seat densification uh what the british airways did at gatwick mm. and that's big that's a particularly interesting area because norwegian really jumped into uh, uh, ba's backyard and started these routes to fort lauderdale and um to oakland mm. ba responded launching its own routes um from gatwick and um both carriers i yeah. <laughs> <are now laughs> won't no longer operating well ba uh, with uh, norwegian has moved both those routes or switched those routes to um uh miami and san francisco for uh, as part of that Seeking higher yields, mm-hmm. and BA has announced it's um, centering its um, South Florida routes around uh, Miami. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's very interesting this coalescence around you know bigger route, bigger yeah. um, traditional hubs, and then we also saw Virgin um, and Delta um, making a move around there as well. Yeah,
1: new routes. To... <laughs> that that was yeah. I think we mentioned that in a previous podcast. Yeah, it was just um, days before JetBlue announced their transatlantic kind of debut um, albeit a bit telegraphed it was kind of a, a couple of years in the future but um, days before that we yeah, as you say we had um, Virgin and Delta announcing a whole raft of um, Gatwick routes to Boston and New York which is exactly what JetBlue would announce a few days later as their kind of uh, preferred ways to get into that market so I think what it raises actually is a bit chicken and egg but there's clearly if you're going to choose to go into a market you the transatlantic one is where there's incredible strength on the on the part of um, the kind of legacy carriers, isn't it? With the the, yeah. the, the JVs and the, the operating and the the kind of um, the traditional uh, alliance kind of tie ups as well on those um, services. So it's not not an easy one to. It's not it's not into. an
0: easy one, but there is you know carriers keep looking at this. Mm. Um, JetBlue, as we discussed last week, is you know it's a very switched on carrier. Um, Mint has been a very successful premium, premium cabin innovation. It's already operating, you know, quite long sectors already, so it's got a mm. um, got a, a, a handle on this kind of thing. So it's going to be fascinating. A lot will depend on, um, or a lot of the next interest in that level is which airports, London
1: airports, it will end up serving. Yeah, precisely, and yeah, and if it can, I think we talked again about this before, but if it can make a real big difference on the the fares, and it suggested it thinks it can on. In the premium cabin, I think that's where something really kind of interesting could happen if it can, you know, give you a decent business class seat and for half the cost as you would get on a legacy carrier, then that's really, it's upping upping the game. But again, it is... Yeah, we've been talking about business class seats. We're not talking about, I guess, the pure, the yeah. pure low cost model, but it's certainly something that could shake up that market. I think.
0: And I think what's interesting is we again have spoken about long haul because it's it's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but short haul is the bread and butter. It's the bread and butter yeah. for for um, low cost carriers and in Europe, um, in particular. You, know, I mean, Ryanair's jet um remain the you know huge players in the intra european market we've seen mm. lufthansa um come up with this de- you know a very sort of uh, um, it's certainly scope um me- a defensive mechanism through eurowings which continues to expand mm. um or has been expanding um i a g with its various moves whether that's v- Vueling or even level which is operating um some low cost uh, routes mm. France, Transavia, there, there are various different methods of, um, mm. of catering, and low cost remains a significant market in Europe, but it's one where um, a lot of the kind of moves for, for capacity and for market share last year, last year when especially when Air Berlin mm. and when um, Monarch both collapsed, uh, you've seen carriers make moves for capacity, and that's taken a bit of a toll on them.
1: It has so yeah. You, you look at um, uh, EasyJet's latest results, for example, and, and Ryanair's, and both of them have uh, an operation they've taken on as a result result of those kind of uh, that kind of consolidation that is weighing on their results. So you've got EasyJet's Tagal mm. operation. I know when I spoke to um, Johan Lundgren when he wasn't long in the role, he describing that as kind of taking uh, setting up a whole new airline overnight essentially. So yeah, that that's weighing on their results. In the case of Ryanair. Um, you've got louder mm. that's weighing in. and they will say that's because um they had very expensive leases on aircraft for example and they weren't hedged properly but but yeah it's certainly um shaken up the market a bit in that regard you're not seeing the uh particularly in the case of ryanair it's noticeable they're not kind of you know their, their kind of growth trajectory doesn't look quite as solid at the moment i'm not saying there's mm. anything fundamentally wrong but yeah it's certainly interesting I think um, that yeah and, that's
0: and obviously as you're adding capacity that, that has that effect on um, on profitability they're doing mm. they're doing that at a time of, of uh, which has been largely rising fuel costs yeah so there's been a, a degree of volat- volatility with that but they're back on the mm. back here above the 70 um, 70 dollar yeah. uh, level I think Brent crude now so, so that has an impact and Europe has another factor around and, you, and this isn't Specific to the low cost carriers, either, though you are seeing it with them around building in a bit more buffer into uh, their operations because of the um, uh, impact of uh, compensation payments. I guess
1: that's it, That that is such a big theme as we found when we we're back in February at the A4E meeting. They're all very concerned about that, and you've know, heard EasyJet again in their recent results talking about increasing the number of standby aircraft they have, so significantly increasing that um, because of the you know the impact it can have the, the huge burden of a whole flight being delayed enough to mean that every passenger is owed a couple of hundred euros it, um, and, and, and especially they given... will log out of their control in yeah. a lot of cases yeah
0: yeah I mean given what happened um, uh, last summer with air traffic delays and mm. you know it's a consistently um, growing sector yeah uh, you can understand some of their concerns uh, or, or that desire to, to bring in some buffer into the network.
1: Yeah, and what really focuses the mind is, that, is a huge theme, is that fares are, are really um, not very favourable <laughs> in terms of the, the revenue. So fares are, are low, and Ryanair's talking uh, talked about in its latest results how it doesn't have any visibility on the second half because it... Um, Bec- partly because of that, so we, you know, fares are low and, and falling as far as we can see and and I think there there is a case certainly that, that Europe capacity-wise has seen growth that maybe is um, as a proportion of how the overall economy growing maybe has been a bit excessive, so um, it, I think it might be fair to say there could be certainly more consolidation to come again, how that would play out whether it would be the kind of neat way that seems to be happening in, in Canada at the moment versus... Um, whether we're going to see another airline fall over, who knows. But certainly fares are not helping anyone at the moment. And, um, yeah, that, that's certainly going to be something to watch, particularly over the summer period, what, what impact that has as well when some of these carriers start looking into the winter again and, and uh, <laughs> getting through that um, after maybe not a particularly um, revenue-packed summer.
0: Yes, so all eyes there. After the break, we'll be uh, turning our attention to a uh, low cost carrier in um, North America that continues to make waves.
1: For more information on airline business, including your subscription options, go to flightglobal.com forward slash airline business.
0: Ultra low cost carrier Spirit Airlines has been on a journey over recent years where once it wore its budget credentials unapologetically on its sleeve, it has, first under the leadership of Bob Fenaro, and since the start of this year under the guidance of Ted Christie, put a focus on punctuality as part of efforts to improve its customer service. Fly Global America's managing editor, Gim Le Yo, interviewed Christie for the latest airline business, and I caught up with Gim to find out more about how the evolution is going.
2: So Spirit is, uh, they style themselves as a the first ultra-low-cost pioneer in the United States, and they were the ones who started charging for check bags many years ago, which basically prompted the rest of the airlines in the U.S. airline industry to follow suit. And also a few years ago, they began charging for carry-on bags. Um, so they are really, they've really been known as the airline that um, basically charge you for everything, you know, aside from the the effort that you pay for. Uh, They charge for sit assignments, they charge for even if you were to ask for a bottle of water. Um, But in the past few years, Spirit has really kind of uh, embarked on this process to improve their brand and to improve their on-time performance reliability. And I think they've started to realize uh, under the leadership of former CEO Bob Fanaro, who took over back in 2016, that they were going to be a different type of airline. Uh, So they've really turned themselves around. And in terms of, uh, you know, even the DOT data has really showed us that they have improved their on-time performance. So I think back in 2015, they were actually the really the very last airline the ranking when it comes to on time performance. But in twenty eighteen they actually moved up to fourth place and I think they had more than eighty percent of their flights arriving on time. Uh, so yeah, they've been they've really gone through quite uh, the evolution and quite the transformation in the past few years.
0: It seems that the operational side of it has been one of the really uh, central points trying to improve that on time on time performance to, uh, yeah. to improve its reputation.
2: Yeah, I think they realize that it doesn't do them any favors to not be on time because I think even, you know, as passengers ourselves, nobody wants to get on the flight, uh, knowing that, you know, most of the time it's going to be late or it's going to leave late or it's going to arrive late. So I think they've really made a concerted effort to turn that around. And I think it's bearing fruit, uh, because, you know, aside from just improving their on-time performance, they've also improved um, the rate of customer complaints uh, according to duty data. So they are still pretty much at the bottom in the US airline industry. But if you were to look at the the numbers uh, in terms of the, just the number of complaints that they have logged per 100,000 employments, which is how they measure it, they've actually made significant improvements from three years ago.
0: And there's an interesting parallel with Ryanair in in Europe, another airline which has really worked to um, improve its image and, you know, take, I guess, some of the rough edges off some of its um, Mm -hmm. service levels uh, before, but but would still very much see itself and identify itself um, as a low-cost carrier. Yeah, Spirit. It still maintains that those kind of low cost routes.
2: Yes, they are. They are still very much a ULCC airline, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, They are very proud of their cost structure. They are very proud of, you know, just the way that they have, um, you know, introduced you know, ancillary products, um, which have really been different for the industry, because I'm sure you are aware that even in the last few years, um, the legacy airlines have rolled up basic economy uh, and basically their own version of sort of the low cost fare, just to appeal to customers who are a little bit more price conscious on that front. So that's not going to change. I think at its very hard spirit, it's still going to be a ULCC. But they have uh made a lot of effort in terms of improving their on-time performance and i think to also educate passengers that hey you know they're ultra low-cost carrier and these are all the other things that that you would you wouldn't get just by buying an airfare that you would have to add you know in addition to what you're paying for your ticket
0: and obviously it's, there's a, a relatively new man at the helm of the carrier yes. in ted christie what well, yes did you make see a sense as to uh, how he sees the the vision for the carrier, or how important having new man at the helm is to um, I suppose continuing that evolution of yeah. Spirit?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think Ted is 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 has an interesting perspective because he joined Spirit in twenty twelve, and he is you know even though he's been CEO since January of this year, he's obviously not new to the airline, and he's really been there in the last you know seven and I think he's starting his eighth year um, you know, in the leadership team of Spirit. And he was the chief financial officer before he was promoted to president last year and then subsequently CEO this year. Um so he's really been the person who's been driving um, you know, the cost front of Spirit and just what they've been doing uh, you know, in just uh trimming their cost structure. So but he's made it very clear to me during our interview at Spirit Headquarters that um the very First focus for him coming to the job as CEO, and what's top of his mind right now is just improving the product and improving um, the reliability of the airline. And you know, it's, it's an effort that began under Bob Fanaro when he became CEO in 2016. And I remember Ted told me during the interview that when Bob Fanaro came into came to the airline as CEO, he was like, you know this is the way we're going to run the airline and we're going to be on time. We're going to be a quality operator and and everyone just lined up and, you know, and work under Bob to deliver that. So I think for Ted, you know, he's, to him, like the priority is to continue that effort and to make sure that they 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 make further improvements upon what they've really done in the last year or so.
0: And I guess within the, the wider U.S. sector, you have, um, Spirit, who, who have been growing very fast, and um, uh, another ultra LCC in Allegiant, which had also been a yeah. rapid growth, um, and then you have some very established players in in Southwest, um, obviously the founders, yes. the model and JetBlue. How's the low cost market developing over there?
2: So the low cost market is interesting. I, I think, like you know, you have Southwest, which is well, we always call Southwest the giant because. They are so big. And I mean, technically, they are the biggest airline in the U.S. in terms of just the number of passengers they transport. Um, but the low-cost market has been interesting because you have Spirit, who I think has really carved out a space for itself in the U.S. market. Um, it's grown dramatically over the last few years. Um, well, ever since Ted Christie joined the airline at CFO in 2012, I think Spirit has actually grown its number of destinations by 40%, which is pretty substantial um and then you have a you know which is kind of you know a a a leisure focused airline and their business model is primarily the leisure passengers they they don't fly daily service on most of their flights i think it's a lot of it is you know three times weekly four times weekly um, so it's a kind of a different business model and they are very much focused on bringing Passengers in smaller communities, at smaller airports, to large leisure destinations like Orlando, like Vegas, and all of that. And then you have Frontier, which is based in Denver, which um, no one has really quite figured out what the strategy of Frontier is. Um, they've spent the last couple of years launching a ton of seasonal service, and a lot of the seasonal service is, you know, focused on um, targeted at leisure customers. And a lot of this seasonal service actually competes, you know, with Spirit and with the Beat Legacy Airlines. And when Bob Fanaro took over as CEO of Spirit a few, few years back, there was a lot of speculation that Spirit and Frontier could be looking at a merger, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it is a logical, you know, chain of thinking because they have a common fleet. Uh, I don't think they actually have that much network overlap, you know, if you're talking about year-round service. Um, Frontier CEO Barry Biffer used to be the you know basically like the right hand man of former Spirit CEO Ben Baldenza back in the day. So I think that is still speculation that's still gonna be going on for a while, but it just remains to be seen uh, if that is actually going to happen. And you know, Frontier is owned by Indigo and it's not entirely clear what the plan for the airline would be.
0: Interesting times in the US market.
2: Gimli, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you so much, Graham.
0: So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we've referenced, including Gim's cover interview with Ted Christie in the podcast notes. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and can spare the time, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again in June, hopefully with plenty to say following the annual IATA gathering of airline chiefs in Seoul and the Paris Air Show. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on breaking airline news at flightglobal.com. See you next time.